This is Becca Millhaven just saying hello. I'm Tom Becca. And I'm McGraw Millhaven. Good afternoon and good morning, everybody. <laughs> and McGraw will not let me talk about something. So I just want to start off by just saying that if I offended you last week with the podcast, I apologize. Is that okay? Can I say that? That is excellent. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, just, you know, I got to take a joke. Anyway. Uh, I mean, I mean, actually, you know what? You should probably start off every podcast like that. Just apologizing for the last podcast. <laughs> uh, although, what, what did I hear? Somebody commented on something that you said, too. And I can't remember what it was because I was going to bring it up. I was going to bring it up, and now I forget what it was. Oh well, I'll think of it was later. It, was it what 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 brilliant thing did I say that somebody wanted to comment on? Uh, yeah, it wasn't brilliant. That was why they were commenting. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, but uh, that's that's weird. Anyway, um, yeah, and 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 the reason that you won't let me comment about what I actually said that offended this person is because you got more people that are still giving you grief about it, right? Well, they're not giving you grief about it; they're giving me grief about it. Yeah, but to they're talking to you. Yeah, they give to me. Yeah. 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 So you're you're so they're giving you grief to give me so, grief. Right. So I'm getting grief by proxy, which is really annoying. <laughs> you know, if I could if I could make your life just a little bit more miserable, then my work here is done. That is exactly right. Yes, that is exactly right. Yes. What um, are we talking about today? Well, I want to I want to start off by saying I, I finally went and I saw uh, Oppenheimer. Yes. And 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 you were right, because you you saw it before I did, and you said you got to see it at least twice to um, make sense of all the, all the characters and try to put all the pieces together. And I I think you're right. I, th- I think it is a movie that is just and it's so compelling and it's so well done that you want to see it twice anyway. But yeah. to figure out just okay who all the players are and where they fit into all this and how it all turns out, um, yeah. So I'm going to go see it again. But uh, I uh, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that movie and um you know because i used okay so here's my here's my connection to the uh attack on uh uh, hiroshima and nagasaki uh i used to live i used to live in santa fe just outside of los alamos and uh, i actually had a friend whose dad worked on the manhattan project but he didn't know that his dad worked on the manhattan project until he died until and his dad died. Until his dad died, yeah. Until his dad died, yeah. And then uh, at the funeral, like all these people that he never saw, that, that my friend never saw these people around the house, I had no idea who these people were, and they were all people that worked on the Manhattan Project with his father. Oh wow! And, but he didn't know that it was. He didn't know that his dad worked on the Manhattan Project until uh, until he passed away. Um, and, and the thing about that, like, living in Santa Fe. And I was living. I was living there in uh, like the uh, what the the mid eighties, uh, so it wasn't that far away from when you know the bomb was actually dropped. So there was a lot of people there that well, still forty years ago, forty years. Yeah, but forty years in the grand scheme of things, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, okay. So so forty years ago, forty years ago was the mid eighties when I was living there. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that you know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, anyway, you would meet people from Los Alamos. And, you know, I just sort of like pass him on. Oh, hey, what, you know, how you doing? What's your name? Oh, Bill. Hey, Bill, I'm Tom. You know, you know, what do you do? None of your business. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, I had a friend that worked at a car dealership, and they used to call the people from Los Alamos that bought cars, they used to call them coneheads. Because, like, if if um, uh, one guy came in one time, I'll never forget this. One guy came in one time and said, uh, yeah, uh, the specs that you've got published, Say that this car is supposed to be 
are six uh, six feet eight inches long, and uh, it's actually uh, six feet seven and five eighths inches long. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so they had to deal with stuff like that. So the people up there, and, and by the way, if you're listening in Los Alamos, I I mean no disrespect because they're definitely a different breed. If you can figure that stuff out, they're definitely a different breed. Well, and then, I and thought. Then and then, of course, my other connection to um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki is that uh, living in Omaha, where the Enola Gay was built in Omaha, and I've actually been in the hangar uh, there at Offutt Air Force Base, where the Enola Gay was built. Which I had no idea the Enola Gay was built in I didn't Omaha. think you did. I, did. I didn't know it for years either. I didn't know it for years either. And then, uh, yeah, I, um, I wound up. I wound up actually in the hangar where it was built. And you know what else is in that in that same hangar now? Or at least it was. I think they moved the office. But you know what was in that hangar? What, what, what brought me there? There was a department of the military that goes and uh, finds the, the, the bones of servicemen who died. The missing in action servicemen, right? Right, yeah. And when they find these bones, they bring them back to Omaha and they do the DNA testing to see if they can match them and give them a final resting place and bring some closure to the family. So we weren't allowed to take any pictures inside of what they were doing, but you go into this whole room and this room, and it's just like, you know, no just filled with bones, bones that they found in Korea, bones they found in Vietnam, bones they found actually in World War II, uh, World War II battlefields. And they go and they do all their DNA research to try to, match those bones with uh, the deceased person. But anyway, the point being here, uh, my connection to uh, Oppenheimer is the uh, living close to Los Alamos and knowing some people whose father worked on the bomb, worked on the project, and then also um, being in Omaha in the hangar where the Enola Gay was built. That's your brush with greatness. My brush with greatness, yes. You, you know, I interviewed, I think the man's name was Bob Green. I interviewed him too. I know what you're talking about, yes. Uh, yeah, he was a columnist in Chicago. And he, when he was a kid, he grew up and um, is, he tells the story that he would go Saturdays with his dad to go buy a newspaper and a drinking coffee at the newspaper stand every morning was this man. And every morning, his father would say, that man helped save America. And the guy was Paul Tibbetts, the pilot of the Enola Gay. And when Bob Green got older, he ended up writing a book about the Enola Gay and the pirates and what happened to him. And and everything else and story about him, him growing up and learning about world war ii and everything else it was a really interesting book i think the book was called duty or honor or honor and duty or something like that it was bob green it was a story about paul tibbetts the the author or the the pilot of the uh, enola gay yeah i read that book too and uh interviewed bob green as well and, and another connection there so the pilot there that uh piloted the enola gay uh was living in columbus ohio where i also lived so i i have all these connections to oppenheimer if you were only living in nagasaki at the time <laughs> oh, oh, oh that's cold oh that's cold but you know but oh man oh yeah yeah okay now send mcgraw nasty uh text and emails about that comment all right <laughs> care about this if i'm getting grief for something i said last week that he should be getting grief for this all right now hold on a second too soon i mean it's been 70 years <laughs> Um, All right, hold on a second. I so you know the controversy over Barbie, right? Where Singapore and what is it, Vietnam, and somebody is upset 
because in the movie Barbie, they have a map of China or Asia, and it somehow depicts something that's incorrect. And they're so upset over Barbie because of this 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 map that's on the screen for a second and a half. Have you seen this controversy? I, I've been too focused on the far right, who's all upset about how Barbie emasculates men. But uh, okay, okay. Yeah. So there were there was before the movie came out. There's a big controversy, and like China and uh, some of the Pacific Rim Islands nations were upset that somehow this this map on a wall behind Barbie that is two seconds in the viewing is somehow upsetting because it diminishes their their worldview or whatever else right that's a huge controversy how come the controversy of oppenheimer being played in japan isn't that big of a controversy i mean it's a story about how they bomb they drop nuclear bombs on japan you would think japan would have a problem with that uh, well, yeah, I think Japan does have a problem with it, and this is why they're not showing it. Plus, plus, quite honestly, I mean, it's probably just also just a business decision. I don't, I'm not, I can't imagine people flocking to um, Oppenheimer to see, uh, you know, the story of how the bomb was built. Well, people went to go see, you know, the story of Osama bin bin Laden. And well, anyway, um, here's here here was my takeaway from Oppenheimer, and I. I I'm oddly enough curious to, uh, to get your thoughts on this. And and I'm not sort of dispelling any um any plot lines or twists. I mean, we all know what happened. Mm -hmm. So Oppenheimer is in the 30s and he ends up going he's on the college campus, right? He's a professor or student, right? He's one of the brilliant minds of his generation. He's on a college campus and in a college campus, right? You have all these people and let's come to a meeting and let's hear this one and so he he sees a cute girl, and a cute girl says, hey, why don't you come to this meeting? It's about communism, right? So he goes, because he's sweet on the girl, and years later, he's still trying to somehow having to justify going to this communist meeting because he was really trying to hit on a girl, which is really kind of hysterical, because we've all done things Right. We would go to all sorts of things to go meet a girl. Right. I mean, if I was 1936 and somebody said, hey, a cute girl said, hey, come to this meeting. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Are you a communist? No, I was trying to meet the girl. You know, right. I mean, so all these years afterwards, he's had to justify and, and all these other people had to justify going to these communist meetings when they were just trying to meet girls. <laughs> um. Let me ask you this, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my answer to this. But what, who, what meeting or what event or what thing have you done years later in retrospect? You know that they might be able to. Uh, that doesn't not even anything that's really bad, but try to put you in saying that you are this type of a person when all you did was go because you thought that maybe you might be able to get a little action. Oh, I'm sure there's, I mean, I signed up for a school play because I was sweet on a girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that doesn't make you right. That doesn't make you an actor. That is exactly right. right. No, I, I, agree. No, I agree. Nobody I, would Nobody would argue that I'm an actor. Because when, when, when I, I heard you talking about this on, on your radio show uh, last week. And while you're talking about this, I thought about this woman that was a Buddhist. And I went to, you know, 
I went and studied Buddhism for about, you know, two or three weeks. And then two or three pages. And then I really didn't know what I was reading. And so and, I decided to break up with her. And it was like, it was like, well, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Buddhist. But yes, if somebody said, Tom, back in 1975, you went to a Buddhist temple. Well, yeah. Guilty as charged. You right. Know, right. Yeah. She was hot. Yeah. Or, right. or, or for that matter, even not even take, take, take even the, the, uh, the sexual aspect out of it. Uh, I have been to, I've been to a Muslim mosque to learn about the Muslim religion, just to find out more about it, right? So yeah, Tom, were you ever in a mosque? Yes, I was at a mosque. That doesn't make me a Muslim. I've also been to a to a Jewish temple. That doesn't make me a Jew, you but, know. So but, so. But but take this one step further, right? So for years we had the Red Scare and who was in the meeting and name names and communist communist sympathizers and all this and that. And now we have a part of the Republican Party that is sympathetic to Vladimir Putin, and somehow that's okay. There is a portion of society, whether the far left, the RFK Jr. Um, faction or the Josh Hawley faction or the Donald Trump faction, that is somewhat warming to the Russian point of view. and. Nobody minds it. Oppenheimer goes to a meeting in 1930 because he was hot for a girl, and people are apoplectic over the whole deal. Well, now you've just opened up a can of worms, and uh, I don't want to get things started when we're this close to a commercial break. So I will address what you just said, and uh, well, that, which will tie into the latest indictments against uh, our former president, uh, which I'm sure we got to talk about to some extent. We'll talk about that. And a lot more coming up. If you're listening on the podcast itself, be a quick little break here. We'll just be a second of dead air. But if you're listening on the radio, we'll be right back on the Big 550 KTRS. We are back. I'm Tom Becker. He's McGraw-Millhaven. And McGraw was pointing to the fact that how, um, and, and in fact, I guess the conservative movement that back during the Oppenheimer era was so worried about the big red menace, the big red scare, and now the far right seems to be more embracing of uh, the Russian philosophy. Am I, am I paraphrasing uh, yeah. what you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, uh, uh, Russia trying to influence our elections through Facebook and hacking and everything else, and nobody seems to mind. Uh, meanwhile, they were so upset because Oppenheimer wanted to go to a communist meeting to meet a girl. Here's the thing, and this is this is what is interesting to me, and, and this this goes into so many different aspects of our lives today. Okay, so when you take a look at it, the problem is the going back to the Red Scare, right? You had McCarthy and a handful of others, Roy Cohn and a handful of others, who were actually um, uh, role models for Donald Trump. Uh, Cohn was uh, friends with Trump, right? Um, but you've got people like that. And then you just had people that were just sort of like going along with it, just uh, going along, going along, not speaking up about it uh, until it just went too far. And then they went and made the comment, you know, have you no shame, sir? And, you know, they went went off on that. Um, but we see the same thing today. We, we see, you know, a handful of people. And let's face it. Let's face it. Most people that are following Donald Trump and the Republican Party right now, quite honestly, are not big diehard, you know, pro-Russia activists. But they're just sort of going along because it's just easier to go along. And, and, and this, I think, is the danger, is that people don't question enough. 
I got into a discussion this morning on Twitter regarding uh, the Donald Trump indictments. Oh, that sounds like an intelligent conversation. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I understand. Sometimes I just get suckered into it. I, I admit. Okay. I know we all go down the rabbit hole. It, it was, and it was, it was a tweet that was put out. It was a tweet that was put out by, um, uh, one of these uh, real. A far right Republican groups here in Nebraska, right? And it was uh, Donald Trump, a meme of Donald Trump going, you know, they're not after me, they're after you. I'm just standing in their way. That was basically the idea, right? That he's trying to right. push on her, that uh, they're only going after him because they really want to go after the average citizen. To which I pointed out, I said that that's not true because, you know, just common sense would tell you it would be so much easier to go after a Chris Christie, to go after a Mike Pence, to go after, you know, a, uh, uh, a Nikki Haley or, um, uh, what was it, Ram Swamy, or, you know, so much easier to go after someone like that than go after the former president, you know? And so then, you know, that started the thing. It's like, well, yes, those other people, those other people aren't a threat to, uh, to the uh, deep state. To which I said, uh, you know, well, why? I mean, what, what do you mean a threat to the deep state? You know, what is, first of all, define the deep state and tell me the list of the people that Donald Trump was able to take out of the deep state during his term as president. I haven't heard anything back. You know, I just, just question. I mean, look, you can be a Donald Trump supporter on this, right? But just question, okay, if this really is, if the, if the Justice Department really has been politicized to go after conservatives, why are they only picking on Donald Trump? Why aren't they going after, uh, you know, all these other conservatives that are out there? Well, you know, and, and I know some will say, I know some will say, well, they are. They're going after all these people that, you know, stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Yes, because they committed crimes, not because they were conservative, not because they have, you know, a Republican beliefs, not because they think that Donald Trump is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's because they committed crimes. So have you read the full 45 pages of this indictment? Uh, no, I've not. No, I've not. So I've read, I haven't read it all, um, but it's, I've read some of it. And what amazes me about this thing is is they're all Donald Trump's people. Yeah. They're his attorney general. They're his vice president. They're his chief of staff. They're his deputy counsel. They're the, right? The list goes on and on of people Donald Trump hired who clearly testified at this grand jury who said, we told him no, he did it anyway. We told him no, he did this, right? When Mike Pence calls him on Christmas Day to wish him a Merry Christmas. And Donald Trump says, you need to overturn the election. And Mike Pence says, I don't have that authority. Right? That's not the liberal Justice Department making it up. That's Mike Pence. When they have a meeting on January 5th, and Mike Pence's chief of staff is so worried about what Donald Trump is threatening to do to Mike Pence, that Mike Pence's chief of staff alerts the Secret Service, that's not the Lilly liberals trying to 
run the deep state. These are Republicans. Then when they go to the states, they're Republican attorney generals, Republican secretaries of state who are all saying the same thing. Yeah, It's Republicans who were saying, Donald Trump, you can't do this. And him and his co-conspirators are sort of, so stop saying it's the liberals. There's not a liberal or a Democrat mentioned in this document. It's not the liberals. It's Donald Trump's own people and Republicans who were saying the man committed these crimes. And if they really have gone and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, uh, gone and uh, politicized the Justice Department, and they're just going after conservatives in that, then, then, then tell me, and again, I think I brought this up in another podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, then you have to admit that, boy, these liberals that are doing this have got to be so well organized to be able to put this together. Because it's, you know, what happened in Florida, it's what happened in D.C., what happened in New York, what's happening in Georgia. I mean, you go down the list here of all these different things. And to be able to put this together into, you know, a cohesive, organized plot to get the former president, I well, mean, but- it, just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. They, they have him saying to Millie, you know, I lost this election. I can't believe I lost this election, right? They have... They have um, Mark Meadows coming up from, from Georgia saying, we looked at Georgia and they ran a pristine election. There's nothing there, there, sir. You you don't, you didn't win. Stop. There, there's no, you know, every lawyer, every legit lawyer. Uh, how about the one time when the one lawyer says, if we overturn the election and we break the law, when it comes to the electoral college, they'll be rioting in the streets. And one of the co-conspirators says, good, he can then invoke the Insurrection Act. Wait, what? Yeah. He wanted to call out the military? And, 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 and I mean, this is Looney Tune stuff. Again, it's not the liberals. It's not Adam Schiff. It's not Chuck Schumer. It's not Nancy Pelosi. These are Mike Pence and Bill Barr and Republicans that he appointed or hired. So stop. They sound ridiculous when they come somehow calling it the deep state or the politicalization of the Justice Department. I, I I thoroughly agree with you. I thoroughly agree with you. Look, you know there are things that Trump did on, during his tenure as president that I would agree with. Okay, there are, but I think that what he has done as far as trying to discredit our Justice Department, trying to discredit our courts, our media, the foundations of our government, our intelligence community, all of the things that he did. You know the way that he alienated our so many of our allies. I think it was just so dangerous for this country, you know, and, and, and the way that, you know, I, I, I just, it, it's, it's just, and I, and I know that people are the diehard Trump supporters feel as frustrated in my beliefs as I feel in theirs. Well, but, uh, but, but, but I get this, I get this. Oh, you, you hate Trump. No, I don't hate Trump. Oh, you love Biden. No, I don't. No, I don't love Biden. Oh, have you ever voted a Republican? Yeah, I voted for a Republican. That, that All of that has nothing to do with anything. It's read this indictment. Ron DeSantis, who is running, apparently he's running for president against <laughs> Donald Trump, apparently. And he puts out a statement and says, I didn't read the indictment, but this is a clear indication of the politicalization of the Justice Department. You didn't even read the indictment. And it's somehow the politicalization of the Justice Department. Give me a break. At least, 
at least lie and say you read the indictment. This is a man running against Donald Trump, and he's carrying the water for Donald Trump. It's it, insane. And that makes no sense whatsoever. The uh, Washington Post had an editorial here, and even if you just just the headline is all you need to get from this uh, opinion, right? The headline says, "Prosecuting Trump is perilous. Ignoring his conduct would be worse." And that that just says it all right there. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Look, I I'm, I I was not a Trump fan. At the same token, I take no glee or joy in what's happening here. This is not this is not the America that I believed in, right? We're supposed to be better than this. We're supposed to be uh, fairer than this, smarter than this. The peaceful transition of power. You know, we're supposed to be talking about ideas and philosophies and not personalities. And 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 it just it just blows my mind that we've gotten to this point here. Now, maybe you know, maybe the the ship will ride itself. I hope so. I hope so. But um, it it does. It, it, the, the way that people have just fallen in line. You and I, you and I, years ago. Uh, did a uh, a trip to the Czech Republic, and actually it was a river cruise up the Danube, where we went uh, wound up in Budapest and that. And one of the days we spent, we went and um, um, visited a concentration camp outside of Prague. Yeah, was that what Tbilisi? Is that what it was called? I think it was. I forget the name of it. Anyway, concentration camp out of Prague, and and there was a little museum in this little village, is maybe about you know a mile away from the concentration camp. And at this museum there in this little village, the guy said, I'll never forget this. The guy said, people in town knew what was going on at the concentration camp, but nobody spoke up. And I remember thinking, how could that ever be? Now, this, again, this was, well, it's been at least uh, 10, 12 years or so that we went on this trip, if not longer. And I remember thinking to myself, how can this be? How How could people know that they were, you know, Hurting up, you know, Jews and others, and, and keeping them in this concentration camp and letting them starve to death, and not speak out, not do anything about it. How could people just be so subservient to some radical idea like this? I couldn't believe it, but I've seen it now in my own country. You know, I've seen it now in my own country where people are just going along when the evidence is there. We have audio tape. Audio tape of Donald Trump telling Georgia to just find the votes. We have, you know, they're, they're trying to frame this as a First Amendment issue, which it's not a First Amendment issue. Yes, you have the right to free speech. You don't have the right to crawl, uh, to, to yell fire in a crowded movie theater. Okay? So listen to this. Listen to this. I had a, I have an attorney on, Greg Willard on, and we got into this conversation. Um, Donald Trump is going to say, his defense is, I don't know what his defense is going to be, but they're saying his defense is going to be, right, as you say, First Amendment right. He had a right mm-hmm. to say these things. He had a right to say the election was stolen. He had a right. He believed the election was was stolen. He believed he was doing these things. He believed that he was listening to sound advice from world-class lawyers. For them to put on that defense, Donald Trump has to take the stand and say, I was listening to my lawyers. I believed I had a case. They told me I had a case. And so the only way to get that into evidence is to put Donald Trump on the stand. You put Donald Trump on the stand, who wouldn't want to cross-examine Donald Trump? 
So in a sense, his own defense, he can't even put on because he can't take the stand. Yeah, because the first thing I would do is say, okay, so so the lawyers were telling you this, but yet Sidney Powell was telling you this, and you just thought she was too crazy for you even. So, you know, so, you know, you, you stopped listening to her. Why did you stop listening to her? Well, and right, I mean, yeah, I mean, right I but, know, but yeah. the point is, but I mean, for, for yeah. them to put on a defense, what's the, the defense? They haven't said anything in this document is false, right? They haven't said, I never said that to Mike Pence. They never said, I never said that to Bill Barr. They never, they never said any of that. All they said was he's allowed to say anything he wants, which is a weird defense. But to put that defense on, he's got to take the stand. If you take a look at the people that were very close to Trump during his administration, Chris Christie, uh, John Bolton, uh, uh, Bill Barr, down the line, okay, some of the Mike Mike Pence, some of these people that were very close to to Trump, who are saying that this man is not fit to be president again, okay, and these are people that worked with him that know him. Well, I guess they're probably part of the deep state, uh, but um, it, it, the whole thing is just—it's just mind-boggling. And that doesn't mean that I think that Joe Biden is a great president, or that I think that Joe Biden, you know, is is going to, uh, you know, uh, should should be reelected. Um, but at the same token, if it's between Biden and uh, Trump, Biden needs to be reelected. Well, so I I, I go back to this. Um, it was the day. Uh, after Donald Trump won the election. And you're talking okay. 2016, right? You're not talking 2016. Yeah, yeah 20, 26, <laughs> 2016. I want to make sure, <laughs> I want to make sure that you didn't just, like all of a sudden just switch, you know? Okay, so so the 2016 20, election, yes. 2016, he wins, right? And we're getting all these phone calls from people. Oh my goodness, the world has ended. Oh my goodness, I can't. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This uh, This one guy calls up and he says, he says, uh, I'm a Trump supporter. I said, okay. And he says, and you know all these people who were calling up, lamenting and just apoplectic and sad and want to leave the country and don't know what to do and are so upset and 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 just just can't even think and fathom. I go, yeah. He goes, that's the way I felt the day Obama got elected. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 will, I will say this. I was at, uh, in 2016, I was at our congressional um, candidate, uh, our congressman's um, uh, campaign headquarters, uh, Republican Congressman Don Bacon. It was his first term, his first election, and he won that election. I'm in the room during the, you know, as, as the results are coming in. When they announced that Trump had won the election, now I'm in a room filled with Republicans, right? When they announced that Trump had won the election, the response was like, yay. I mean, even even the, the Republicans were there going, okay, I don't know what we're in for. Now, I think well, some- I mean, look, yeah. any, any, I mean, Kevin McCarthy, if, if you were being, if he was being honest, he's pulling his hair out. Mitch McConnell's pulling his hair out, right? Any Republican who doesn't have to face the voters has no, has, has no use for Donald Trump. I mean, any Republican who's saying nice things about Donald Trump, you know, 99% of them are lying. They're just telling the voters what they want to hear. They don't really like them. They just have no choice to agree with them because the voters like them. Of course, in this district here uh, in Omaha, this is a, this, this may be like the most purple district in America. And uh, Congressman Don Bacon, who I just referred to a moment or two ago, 
he said he's you know he is not he's not supporting Trump. He is not supporting Trump. And what does that mean? What does that mean? What do you mean? Oh, who? What? What happens when 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 Trump wins the nomination? Is he supporting him then? That is that's still sort of uh, up in the air. Don't yeah. he, he's not officially said that. But, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, right. Because he's like you know he's like Ron DeSantis, who's running against him but running with him. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see what happens when the general election happens. Um, right now, right now, I think Bacon is just concerned about uh, trying to be you know being prime. Here's the out. here's the thing though. If a Chris throw in a Ron DeSantis, throw in a Chris Christie, throw in a Nikki Haley, throw in a Tim Scott, any one of those wins the nomination, they they blow Joe Biden out of the water. The only person Joe Biden can beat is Donald Trump. Why are they sticking with this guy? And right 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 now, depending on the polls that you believe, it's neck and neck, and Trump right. could, Trump could win. Um, one one more thing about this, and we'll move on to other topics here. One more thing, um. I did read uh, some political uh, consultant who uh, made the comment. He said, Biden will go through the whole nomination process. And then when it's time for the convention, they'll have a broker convention. Biden will step down. They'll have a broker convention and somebody else will be the nominee. Now, do I know that to be a fact? Of course not. Do I think it'll happen? Ah. I'd say maybe seventy five percent. Yeah. So it, this it, guy, th- that was that was this guy's prediction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I would, a, it's an I interesting prediction. It, I would change it just slightly. I would say during the brokered convention, uh, Joe Biden would would win the election. I don't think he would step down. I think he would slip and fall down. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, I see what you did there. I see what I see. I, I, he would have fallen and, and he can't get up. And so it would be a brokered convention for a new nominee. He brokered his hip. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. He brokered his hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're pathetic. Oh, that's, the, that's the type of comedy you get on Just Saying. <laughs> and on that note, we'll take a quick break. If you're listening on the radio, we'll take a quick break and be back in a second here on the podcast. This is Beck and Melhaven Just Saying on the Big 550 KTRS. And we are back once again here with uh, uh, McGraw Millhaven. I'm Tom Becker here. Uh, so, what else has been in the news that has got uh, got uh, you thinking? Oh, I think the um, the Mets uh, and the trade deadline. That's what I'm thinking. Did your did you, did your Mets make any uh, good moves? They traded Verlander. They traded Scherzer. Uh, yesterday at about five o'clock, my three-year-old daughter was hanging upside down on the bookcase. At the same time, uh, the Mets were trading Justin Verlander. At the same time, the Trump indictment was coming down, and it was an iron triangle. It was like Sophie's Choice. What do I do? Do 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 I save my three-year-old? Do I find out about the Mets? Do I find out about Trump? I didn't know what to do. Ah, hey, you know, Emerson, she'll, she'll bounce back, you know? Those kids, they're resilient, you know? Uh, so she falls so she falls and hits her head. Come on, you know? She'll she, she be just like her dad then, you know? Just like, just like your dad falling and hit I mean, I was, I was a tortured soul the other day. Um, so are the Mets giving up on the season then, huh? Oh, no, they've given up on the season, yeah. yeah. No, the, the owner spent more money, $445 million, and uh, he got to August first, and he had to sell half the team. He got some good good prospects coming back, though. So, well, my uh, now, my my Guardians uh, got no hit yesterday against Houston. 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, your Cleveland Browns are playing the Jets tomorrow night. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I, okay. Now I am really torn on this. People say, because my whole life I've been a Browns fan and I've been very vocal about being a Browns fan. So I got people in town saying, Hey Tom, what do you think about the Browns this year? And it's the same thing I thought last year. I'm not thrilled about them because of the whole Deshaun Watson thing, you know, uh, on the other hand, I can't really just give up on them. Well, really, you should really be a Baltimore Ravens fan. Why don't you be a Baltimore Ravens fan? Because they're really the Cleveland Browns. Do not ever say that again. I mean, I, to be a Cleveland Browns fan, what type of mental gymnastics do you have to do? You're rooting for a team that was sort of created out of thin air with records that aren't really yours. They're really Baltimore Raven records. If the Cleveland Browns, the new Cleveland Browns, were good enough for Jim Brown, they're good enough for me. Oh, so Jim Brown rejected the Baltimore Ravens too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Jim Brown. Matter of fact, matter of fact remember you and I went and saw the, the when the Browns played uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when the Browns played the St. Louis Cardinals, remember we were in the in the in one of the suites, and Jim Brown was in the suite next to us. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Jim Brown went to my high school. Oh, there. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, Jim Brown, who passed away this past year, right? Yeah. So what do you? So were you rooting for the Jets then? On, on no, Thursday? I'm not rooting for the Jets. I'll, uh, Why that don't is, you root for the Jets? The Jets are an All American team. Well, first of all, I'm not rooting for the Jets because that's your team, okay? No. So that's one reason right there. That, that's the main reason. Um, you know, but you're right. I, I don't. I mean, do I have a? Do I, I? I'm sort of rooting for the Chiefs, but then that makes me a bandwagoner because of you know what what the success oh, I had in the last. Yeah, years. you're a total bandwagon. Yeah, total. You know, um, you know. Did you I, ever? Did, did you ever watch the Peyton Manning uh, series on ESPN called Peyton Peyton's Place? Uh, part of it, yeah. Do you see the one about when he visited the Baltimore and he visited the Baltimore Ravens? No, I don't think so. So he he go. I think it was um, I think it was there with Brett Favre, and so they go to Baltimore and they're doing a whole thing about Baltimore, and he asks the question, uh, "Where is the Super Bowl Five Lombardi Trophy?" And the Super Bowl Five Lombardi Trophy is at the Babe Ruth Hall of Fame in Baltimore. And the reason why it's in the Babe Ruth Hall of Fame in Baltimore is because Super Bowl V, the Baltimore Colts won the Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. So when Baltimore Colts left Baltimore in the middle of the night, they left right. They 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 just turned their back on everything that was Baltimore. So they left the trophy. They didn't want the trophy anymore. So they left it. And when the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore to become the Ravens, the Ravens said, we don't want it. That's the Baltimore Colts Super Bowl. We're not Baltimore Colts. We hate them. And so nobody wants Super Bowl V's trophy. So they had nowhere else to put it. And the Babe Ruth Hall of Fame said, sure, we'll take it. So it's a Super Bowl trophy nobody wants. I'll take it. Give it to me. I'll, I'll put it on the mantle. I'll put how, on the mantle. Weird, how weird is that? One of the greatest trophies out there, right? The most, one of the most coveted trophies, and one of them nobody wants. 
Well, you know, okay, but that goes back to, okay, so the Cleveland Browns did move to uh, Baltimore, right? But they kept the name and the logo and all that stuff right there and clean the records and everything. So, I mean, Cleveland at least held on to its heritage, even though you're right. The the uh, the records they had with uh, Jim Brown and Lou Groza and people like that, Frank Ryan, all those people, you know, those records, you know, don't really um, right. f- fit in with, you know, the, the team of today. I, I, I will say this. Seinfeld has a great routine about sports teams in general and how the players are interchangeable and all that. That really, when it gets right down to it, all you're rooting for is the uniform and laundry. You're just rooting yeah. for laundry. You're just rooting for the colors. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, time, time, and time again, you hate the guy, and then he gets traded to your team, and all of a sudden, you you love the guy. Well, that's the thing Wh- with Deshaun is- Watson. Yeah, I mean, if Deshaun Watson, I mean, look, I think what the I think what the Browns did was stupid. They traded away their future. I mean, this last the last draft. I don't think the Browns had a, had a pick until like pick number 735 because they gave away all their draft picks during the Deshaun Watson thing. I mean, I think that, the, you know, what the Browns did to try to win now at all costs is um, was stupid. But having said that, if they start winning now at all costs, if they start winning after all the years I've been a fan, do I just go and still root for them? What do I do? I don't know. So to wrap this all up, it's very similar to politics. I, that's right. That was my whole point. I was really good. Right. That. I mean, yeah. you're you're a Donald Trump fan because he's your party. And if Donald Trump came out, who was a Democrat in all right, I mean, he was. He, you know, <laughs> he, <laughs> so, so he so he 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 moved to, out of town as well, huh? Yeah. Right. 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 He was a Democrat. He invited. Right. I mean, he was just he played the game. He was a Democrat, and all of a sudden he decides to become a Republican. If if Donald Trump became a Democrat tomorrow, Democrats would embrace him in some insane way. Um, m- might not be today, but in a couple weeks or whatever. The point is this: if they're on your team, they can do no wrong, right? If the if the if the center fielder for the opposition, you know, cheats on his wife and beats up his girlfriend, he's a scumbag. If the if the center fielder for my team beats up his girlfriend, uh, it's a witch hunt. I disagree with you talking about Donald Trump becomes a Democrat. He'll be embraced by the Democrats. I thoroughly Maybe disagree with you late. on that. Maybe it's too late, but there's been yeah. time and time again where politicians have switched parties. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, you're right. And, and they're, they, embraced, and by they're yeah. embraced by the other party. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're one of us now. I know. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It is. And on that note, I guess we're just, just about out of time here uh, today. Uh, How about that? On that note. But uh, I had some interesting conversation. And again, if I offended you last week with a comment I made, about, uh, you don't want me to say what it was about, but if, if I offended you last week about a comment I made, I apologize. I just wanted I just wanted to see it live, that's all. All I know is that's the way we should end every podcast. Just me apologizing? If we, we should have just, if, if I said anything that offends you, I apologize. You, you don't mean it. You don't, or, you don't. Or better yet, I, I owe you an apology. I'll, Venmo, I, I'll Venmo you an apology. Well, what, what, what's what's the way that you do it? Say, well, you know, uh, I don't apologize for what I said, but if it offended you, I apologize. Yeah. For those of you I didn't offend, I'm not apologizing to. <laughs> but for you three that were offended, all right, and I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo you the apology. And on that note, we are out of here. Till next time. By the way, if, uh, you're, the, if you're like the podcast, you know, subscribe, like, you know, follow us. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page, Becker Millie, even just saying, um, which we really have not, we've done a really poor job of uh, marketing this. You know that? I mean, as far as the podcast itself goes, 
We've done a really poor job of doing that. We gotta 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 do a better job of getting this out there for people to listen to. So uh, anyway, we're out of time. So until next time, I'm Tom Becca. McGraw Millen. We'll see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Huda Media Production.